Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host... John Carey! And we are here today talking from separate rooms to make this efficient for ourselves. Uh, we got a nice episode for you today. Going to talk Mariners' kind of last 10 games, break down how that's going to look, um, or how we hope it looks. And then we're going to talk a little UW Pac-12 football. And then we're going to get into uh, our Seahawks discussion about last week's game, as well as... Uh, this week's upcoming game against the Panthers, and then we'll get into our value dog picks. Uh, John, anything else before we hit a little coyote picnic? Let's dive in. Let's go. Okay, John, break it down for me. How have the Mariners looked over the last little bit? What are we hoping to see over the over the next stretch of 10 games? Man alive. It has been such a confusing experience watching the Mariners this whole year. This isn't news from us, but uh, yeah, a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. So last time we talked, we were going into a huge series against the Dodgers, and uh, we were just hoping to win one. Maybe two, but definitely one to stay in the playoff race. And we got swept. We lost three straight games and gave up six runs in each. Uh, We followed that up with a three-game winning streak against the Athletics. We swept them, no surprise there. Scored at least five in every game and gave up a maximum of three runs. So it's it's been pretty hot play by the Mariners recently. And we're entering... The stretch run. We're entering our meat grinder at the end of the year. Rangers, Astros, Rangers. Um, and it's it's just as big as we thought it might be. And yeah, despite the Mariners kind of collapsing here over the course of the last month, it has been some ugly, ugly baseball. We are still right in it. It's amazing. Thanks to some timely choking by the Astros, we are tied with the Rangers half a game behind the Astros for first in the West. Mariners could still win the West. And we're also tied with the Rangers half a game behind the Blue Jays for the second wild card. So even if we don't win the West, we could still get a wild card. But as it stands today, we are on the outside of the playoff looking in. So can't express enough how huge these last games are. Yeah. Um, this this so to give some context we are recording currently at about 4:30 on Friday right before the uh first uh Rangers Mariners game kicks off and yeah to to me I wanted to point something out the the Dodgers series I know we lost all three of those games uh but we carried most of those games late into them and we we held them close um and that just kind of gave me some confidence for this this home stretch going forward we had Definitely an opportunity to win that second game, I believe, where they had first and second, nobody out, and then we just couldn't pull through. We had uh, first and second, no one out in the eighth inning, and JP, Julio, and Teoscar all struck out, and so we couldn't get in a run there, and it was tied 0-0. So that was game went into extras, and we ended up losing 6-2 to two there. Um, but I think the opportunity is there for us to, to keep getting better and keep growing as a team. And, you know, this Texas Rangers, Houston Astros stretch of games is going to be a very huge indicator as to how we're going to continue to play. I think we need to ride this momentum if we can get it and uh, we can, we can compete with anybody in the playoffs right now. Yeah. But you know, 
as true as that sounds, um, the fact of the matter is, playoff baseball, you don't have to wait till October. It's here right now. Um, ten games. Ten games left, all against the two teams that we are vying for the top of the AL West with. And, yeah, we, we you and I have had so many discussions over the course of this year. Oh, if they do this. Oh, if they do that. And, you know, more often than not, we've been wrong. And still they are here. Um it comes down to this, 10 games left. If we don't win a minimum of four of those games, we are not going to be in the playoff. Honestly, six is probably more realistic if we really want a shot at the playoff. But if we win less than four, there's a 0% chance that we're making it in because the guys we're competing with are the two teams that we are tied with or above. And if both of them get in, then we do not. Um, so it's, yeah. It's now. Now's the time for it to happen. No more excuses. These next 10 are going to be huge. Yeah, I think the the big thing with that is we need to just win as many games as we can against the Rangers. We can go 0-3 against the Astros. If we go 5-2 and against the Rangers, you know, they'll have to have swept their other three games to, to keep pace with us. And when it comes down to that, it's it's just us versus them. I think the Astros series is going to be tough, and we've we were looking at the uh, the schedule for pitching, and it looks like we've got uh, Castillo, Kirby, and then Miller going against the Astros, which I think Life might be boys. yeah the three lads. Uh, they might that might be the the most recent set when we swept them um, a little while ago. So that's uh, could be a good sign. And I know their their pitching has been uh, a little lackluster. We're going against Framber, I think Javier and Brown. I think in that series, um, that might be something we'll that we'll update later. But um, I think you got you know you got to look at the first series that's up ahead. We've got Miller going, we've got Gilbert going, and we've got Wu going, and this is going to be a big Rangers series. Um, Huge. Dane Dunning's not a pushover. He he held us down to I think one run last time he, he pitched against us, or maybe it was two times ago. Um, yeah, he's he's better than I think a lot of people have been giving him credit for. And Bryce Miller's got to have a big start to kind of keep us in this in this right now. We got to keep the bullpen as fresh as we can. Matt Brash has to be focused up. Munoz has to have a great slider this next these next ten games. Like John was saying, it is playoff baseball time, and we're we're looking to see you know how Scott uses the bullpen, how things are adjusting. The bullpen's going to get tired at the end of this, but if they're too tired to win games, it's over. So we need to focus up. Yeah, and yeah, it is worth noting that. Like you said, if we go five and two against the Rangers and zero and three against the Astros, you know we're winning against the Rangers. They've got the Angels in between the series with us, so you know they're going to win at least one of those games. Three is probably more likely than one. Um, so you know, not only is being really dominant against the Rangers team really important, but if things are getting closer to five hundred with the Rangers. We need to win a couple of those Astros games because, you, you know, you could go, you know, I guess five and two would be the number. And then if you get swept and they sweep the Angels, we're right back where we were. They have the tiebreaker between us. And unless the Blue Jays fall apart, we're outside the playoffs. So um, it's, n- it's not even, you know, once again, the West is within reach. So that's not that's one reason not to concede to the Astros. But it isn't also enough to just focus on the Rangers and just seed those games to the Astros. We need those wins just as badly, in my opinion, as we need all these Rangers wins. I agree. This is one of those situations where, you know, you want to be in charge of your own destiny. You don't want another team to have to lose for you to make the playoffs. 
and so that's kind of what we're what we're looking at is we want to be winning six of these games and that'll get us get us into the playoffs i think because yeah I don't even want to think about the Blue Jays, man. We got yeah. the we got the West right here. It's all on the table. All we got to do is go out and win, and we can at least secure a wild card. But, yeah, if we're counting on the Blue Jays to blow some of their last games to have a shot to get in, we didn't do our job. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I think the Blue Jays have a tough stretch as well. Uh, I don't – I haven't pulled their schedule up. Do you have that off the top of your head? I do, yeah. They're starting a series against the Rays today. They're down, as we speak, 0-1 to one to the Rays. Um, and they go Rays, Yankees, Rays to end their season. Um, so tough also stretch. a tough stretch. Yeah, absolutely. Rays are, Rays are pretty dominant. I'm a little concerned that the Rays don't have a lot to play for at this point. I think um, they do. Uh, Tampa Bay and Baltimore are both vying for that first place spot in the East to get Oh, they still have a shot at it. Okay. And so... It, yeah, they're they're going to be playing their hearts out over these last ten games as well, and I think that's great for us when it comes to Toronto playing against them for seven games. It sounds like um, absolutely, yeah. That yeah, that is huge. Wins. That is huge. Yeah, I didn't realize they still had a shot at the top of the East. So yeah, very good for us. And Yankees, you know, manager's playing for his job, so there's no reason to expect that they'll go quietly into the night either. So once again, you know, it would be icing on the cake if the Blue Jays struggled down the stretch, but. We should not even be thinking about the Blue Jays. I think to bring up some discussion about, you know, we were talking about playoff baseball. I was talking about how the Mariners failed to score that that run against the Dodgers. I think what we're going to see Scott do a little bit more is get those bunts in. We're going to try and get sacrifice flies in. Yeah. You know, you know, we're, we kind of let guys hit during the regular season just because that's the analytical thing. But when you get to playoff baseball, it becomes more like old school baseball, like manufacture a single run, and that's all you can ask for in those situations. And so we're going to try and see, um, well, I'm hoping to see Scott service, you know, be aggressive in those situations. And, you know, JP's hitting with a guy on first and second, he's got a bunt. He's got to be able to get those guys over. And I'm sure they practiced that over this off day yesterday, but really something to keep your eyes on. Definitely. Definitely. And obviously that's positional too. You know, you never want to, you never want J rod to have to bunt. It's just kind of, leaving value on the table but yeah if ken zones up at bat and you got a man on first why not try a bunt with him you know like when you're comparing the value that he may bring in his at bat to the potential of a you know sack bunt or a sack fly um a lot of these positional players it's like okay yeah let's use the outs on these guys to better position our base runners for when jp or when julio or teoscar is up at bat um and give put the game in our best offensive players hands and you know that's all you can really ask for yeah to elaborate on that it's you know if canzone if you don't think he's got that bunting skill sub demo in you you need to be Mm. getting these guys in the right positions to win these games and you know we're going to see a lot of substitutions scott's going to have a lot on his plate you know maybe he's going to make a couple mistakes but i think that's something that as the fans we're going to have to live with because they're going for these wins they're trying to make it to the playoffs and he's doing what he thinks is the best move obviously there's going to be some discussion if he takes demo out to hit canzone and there's a lefty up or something like that sure but, you know it's just one of those situations where you got to got to think about manufacturing a single run versus allowing a guy to try and hit a home run you know one one thing is a little bit easier than the other 
Absolutely. And and situationally, one run is more important than another, you know? If you're up three, then yeah, maybe don't bunt. Maybe try to build on that lead a little more aggressively. But if you're down one or if the game is tied, yeah, it's not necessarily worth going for it all. It's worth tying that game or building that lead, and then you can worry about being a little more aggressive after that. Very good point. Very good point. Um, any any final thoughts on the Mariners? This is just like a critical stretch. We haven't really gotten into it yet, and so this this pod or you know next week's pod is going to be kind of a reaction to how those first five or six games go. But right now we're just looking at it and and praying. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Next week's pod more than likely we'll have a pretty good idea whether or not this team is going to make the playoff. Um, goodness, this has been such a wild stretch of baseball where. Watching the Mariners get swept by the Dodgers, but then watching yeah, watching Houston lose two out of three to Oakland and then two out of three to the Royals and just all this crazy stuff happening to keep us in the hunt. Um, it's hard to ever say that they will be out of it, out of it, but by next week, we should have a really, really good idea. The odds of this all being still super tight after a week is less likely than three of the four having kind of separated from the pack. So... Yeah, this week is is the most important week of Mariners baseball this year. Um, if you're a Mariners fan, cancel your plans, call in sick to work, tell your loved ones that you will reach out a week from today, but uh, get your eyes on the screens. It's also, I just wanted to note, we're talking about pitching matchups before we started. You said we had Bryce Miller going up against Dane Dunning in this first game today. Um, then we got Logan Gilbert going up against Jordan Montgomery in the second game against the Rangers, followed up by Brian Wu against Nathan Eovaldi. Yeah, Nathan Eovaldi, yeah. Oh, Eovaldi. I'm an idiot. Um, And, you know, speaks to the depth of our pitching staff that I love all three of those guys. Brian Wu, after all the doubt, really shut us up last week. So uh, I've got nothing negative to say about him. Obviously, we love Logan and... I love Bryce. I think you're a little more hot and cold on Bryce. But, you know, we have our best two pitchers going up in our first two games against the Astros. We've got our, our you know, three, four, five guys up in this first three games against the Rangers. Um, huge. Just, like, really, really big. Really, really important to even lose that edge of having, you know, Castillo go up against Dunning. The fact that it's Bryce Miller, you know, a little more pressure on the Mariners. It's going to be so important to come out strong. The last thing we want is to be 0-1 in a series where we need to win, you know, 5 of 7. So this Miller start is going to be huge. The Wu start is going to be absolutely massive. You know, I've got nothing but faith in Gilbert, but um, faith in Gilbert. But, yeah, the Miller and Wu start, probably both of their biggest starts of the year as well. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they have for us. A couple of young guys. I believe in them. Yeah, I really like the uh, the Gilbert matchup in that second game against Montgomery. Mm-hmm. I think we've been matching up well against lefties to start, um, which, you know, granted we were playing the A's recently and had two of those games, so that, that makes me feel better no matter what. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that third start, Wu against Ivaldi, um, big for Wu, and Ivaldi was just coming off an injury. Uh, and so with that, he hasn't really ramped up to full speed, so he might not go as deep, but he's been good. He just has a tendency to give up the long ball. Um, so we got to capitalize on that when we can, capitalize with runners on base, and, uh, you know, 
pounce on people, kind of like we did with the Framer Valdez game the last time we played the Astros. Just got to pounce as soon as we can, get these guys out of the uh, out of the game and get into the relief pitchers because you make the, the bullpen tired and in, on any of these teams, the Astros or the Rangers, you can really eat away at them. The Rangers do not have a good bullpen. It's going to be great to capitalize on those as early as possible. Make this Dane Dunning, make Dane Dunning work through the first four innings. See if we can get him out of there after five. Stuff like that. Huge. That's a really good point. Yeah. Talking, yeah, matchup specific. Where do you want to lean on this Rangers team? And you want to lean on their bullpen. So, yeah, nothing more important than coming out of the gate swinging hard, swinging smart, racking up pitch counts, putting a couple earned runs on them early, and trying to eat into that bullpen as much as possible in this series. Last thing we want to see is starters going six or seven innings. Yep, yep. You'll notice that we're not actually saying that anybody's been good or bad. We're just try we're trying to not jinx them at all. That's kind of how you know we we've obviously been reverse jinxing them every time we talk. Every single so, time. Uh, like I don't know what to say. <laughs> like maybe we should just be really pessimistic. Like it's already over, guys. Don't listen. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're avoiding saying anything at this point and we're just gonna let let karma flow its own direction. We're not gonna put any anything into the world. <laughs> um yeah, I think that's all I have. Go Mariners. Huge, huge, huge stretch. Really excited. Yep. Let's go Mariners. Everybody focus up. Go to those games when you can. Okay. Moving on. Let's uh, let's talk a little UW football. Heck yeah, a little UW football. I'm excited about this. We were, uh, we were getting set up going into the biggest game of the season last time we talked. Biggest game of the season so far last time yeah. we talked. Uh, UW against Michigan State. I think the line was something like 21 points, and I said, take the points. You know, Michigan State's a really high-quality team. Um, Don't tempt fate here. You know, we can win by 17 and still lose this bet, and that's more than likely, so take the points. How did that go, Tyler? Uh, We were both wrong. Yeah, we said the same thing. We both said, hey, take the points because Michigan State's good, and then you'd put the smack down on them. I think they won 43-7. to Was that what it was? 41-7. 41-7. yeah, it was it was brutal. It was thirty five to zero at half. Yeah, it was forty one to zero in the third quarter. <laughs> they scored their only <laughs> touchdown in the fourth. Yeah, I was with my parents last weekend, and I remember talking to my dad, and he was saying, "Man, we only scored six points in the second half. Our second, like our second strings, should be putting up more points than that." And I was like, "Dad, we were up thirty five at halftime. You can't really ask for anything more than that." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he makes a good point. Like. We were up 41 nothing in the third. Not a single point put on the board in the fourth. And that's not necessarily a problem. It's certainly not a problem, but it is worth noting. If anything, it makes the offense look even better that they put up 41 points through three quarters against this Michigan State team. Exactly. Um, few few uh, key contributors in that game. Man, I was watching. Polk had one of the greatest games of his life. Uh, he had one really deep catch that you know, he just basically reached over somebody. Penix had an inter, or basically an interception. He should have had an interception that was tipped and fell right into Polk's hands, and he scored a touchdown on it. Mm. And it was just like a crazy game. Odunze had eight receptions for 180 yards. That is insane. Eight receptions for 180 yards. The math on that. Goodness. <laughs> it was God. So let me, we'll break it down. Penix, in terms of the Heisman race, he had 473 total yards. And this is through two and a half quarters. Like, you know, we're talking about Caleb Williams last week only playing a half. Penix is doing the same thing. Um, He had four touchdowns. 
And then in terms of uh, receiving yards, Adunze had 180 yards on eight receptions. Uh, Polk had 118 yards on five receptions, and McMillan had 96 yards on four receptions. Westover, our tight end, who I think was a walk-on, uh, is what I was hearing from the um, the announcers. He had three touchdowns. Our tight end had three touchdowns, which was crazy. It was really cool to see everybody was just kind of targeting him, and we were letting Adunze, Polk, and McMillan take the big chunks out of the field, and it was good to see Westover be able to get those kind of easy tight end plays where you just do a slant up the middle and he scores for a touchdown. 100%. And you know what's also really cool is just that Obviously, this offense has been so dynamite to start the year. There are people talking about this Huskies offense being the best offense in college football. Um, I believe Tyler called that at the beginning of the year. But uh, we're also seeing them do it in kind of different ways, where obviously the receivers and these big chunk plays have been hitting all year. Penix has been a stud all year. But I really love seeing, yeah, Jack Westover, four receptions, 37 yards, three touchdowns. Now, what does that tell you spatially? It tells you spatially that he is hitting these guys on touchdowns in like the mid range. It's like the hardest area to score a touchdown on the field is when you're 10, 13 yards short of the goal line, you know, not close enough to just pound it in and not far enough away that if you get somebody over the safety, then they can just walk it in. It's that like 10 to 15 yard range that it's the hardest to hit guys for touchdowns. And and Penix did it three times. Four receptions for 37 yards, which means three of the four receptions were about 10 yards each, and each one for a touchdown. So I was really impressed. Obviously, you know, the tight end was awesome, but I was really impressed with Penix not only being able to, you know, hit those receivers for those 20, 40, 60-yard bombs, but also work tougher parts of the field and still exploit the defense. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I would I would liken this game at least at the start it felt like the uh, the Eagles Vikings game a little bit um, where the Eagles were just kind of like taking shots down the field I guess kind of they basically just like Washington kind of spent a lot of time in the first quarter just like to, felt like tiring out the Spartans defense Michigan State um, and then eventually they just like broke them down and just scored possession after possession after possession and it was like oh my god what just happened over the last 10 minutes of this game um yeah it was just very pure very pure offense yeah for sure yeah it was it was a lot of fun to watch and much more of a blowout than we were anticipating um i just wanted to note you were talking about the heisman race this is pretty cool michael Panix jr through three games uh, of the college football season? Or is it four so far? Three. Three. Uh, he has thrown for 1,330 pass yards, which is, if you're doing the math, something like 450 yards per game, uh, which puts him first in FBS. He has thrown for the most passing yards in college football. Second is Shader Sanders on that crazy Colorado team, which includes a couple, you know, with that crazy overtime. Um, and he's thrown for 100 less yards on 23 more attempts and completions. So essentially give Penix 23 more throws that are also completions, and he would be equivalent to what Shader Sanders has thrown. And Penix already has 100 more yards, and that's second in college football. Third is only 1,100. He's got 230 more yards. That's a solid game for some NFL quarterbacks more than third place in college football in terms of passing yards. 
He's also second in touchdowns behind Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, who's got 13 touchdowns and 1,000 yards. Penix has 12, and then there are a couple guys at 11. Um, you know, just, just for a reference, our boy at USC, where did he play? He has something like 800. I'm sorry, I got it right here. He's got 880 passing yards and 12 touchdowns, which is very impressive. Um, but only on 880 passing yards through three games. That's, if it's 900, that's 600 less yards than Penix through three. Um, I know he sat a lot of second halves. There's been a lot of talk about that. But at some point, that can't matter. They can't give the Heisman to a guy when there's a guy at the same position who's <laughs> getting close to like doubling his production in terms of passing yards. So um, if Caleb Williams wants his second straight Heisman, he better start playing second halves because he can't keep up this pace and expect to have a real shot at the Heisman. It's just not going to happen. UW's too good. They're too high profile. Um, they're ranked too high. It, he's not going to be able to just count on nobody noticing what Penix is doing. And I think right now, Penix is clearly in the pole position for the Heisman race. Shader Sanders is right there. But we know as good as Colorado is and as fun as that team is, they're going to take losses. They're going to take a couple losses at least in Pac-12 play. Or Oregon is better than them. They're, they should lose this week. They should lose this week to Oregon. He, he should not even be the best quarterback in the game this week with Bo Nix in Oregon. Um, so I expect this to become... This could begin to start looking like a two-man race here pretty quick between Penix and uh, and our USC boy, Caleb Williams. Um, and if that's the case, Penix just straight up has better stats by a fair margin. 84 for one, out of 113 for 1,300 yards. That's just that's just insane. So, yeah, for you Heisman betters out there, I don't know what the odds are right now, but Penix is looking awfully strong. Yeah, some other notes just about kind of how UW's been playing. Uh, they are in the coaches' poll ranked higher than USC right now. I know mm. in the AP poll, they're 8th, I believe, and USC is 5th or 6th. Uh, but the coaches think UW is better than USC. Um, another note, our defense... We, so we got one interception last week, and that was on some weird play where the lineman caught the ball as uh, as the quarterback was trying to kind of throw it over him, and he just reached up and grabbed it, um, which was really cool. But we're not forcing turnovers we're just getting stops on defense like to hold michigan state to seven points michigan state's two and one now they were two and oh when we played them to hold them to seven points and they scored seven points against our second string defense is just crazy to me to think that we can you know not force turnovers and also prevent them from scoring this much it's it's kind of mind-boggling how great the defense has been and i know we've been talking about our offense a ton but Washington's defense has looked great through these first three weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, who do they have this week? It is Cal. I am going to the Cal game tomorrow. Oh, that's right. And, yeah, no reason to expect that we shouldn't whoop up on Cal. The line's 20 and a half points. And, honestly, I don't know what to tell you. I think I'm staying away from it. <laughs> I think, you know, in general we're staying away from it, but... In terms of the, the you know what the people want, we should definitely continue the, the streak. So, yeah, the line is 20.5 in favor of Washington. The over-under is 59 points. There is a money line this week because against Tulsa there wasn't. Um, <laughs> if, 
but yeah, it's Washington money line is minus eleven seventy and Cal is plus seven oh eight. So that's they're not expecting it to be a tight game by any means. No. Um, so so what's tough is yeah, Cal has not had much of a schedule. They lost to Auburn was their one loss, ten to fourteen. Auburn's a solid team. But then they beat Idaho last week thirty one to seventeen. That's a closer game than the Vandals have any right to be pulling out. Um Yeah. I guess maybe give me the 20 and a half points with the way this offense has looked. Like, I'm just not sure that they can hang. I think, I so in my opinion, Cal is more of a running team. Like, they don't really have a quarterback. And so they're going to eat a lot of clock. Or at least I think that's their plan, unless we get a ton of three down stops and three and outs. Um, but if they they can get a you know get their plan in motion i don't really think they have a chance to win but i think they have a chance to just eat up clock and keep you dub from having the ball where it could get to be like a 35-17 type game um, i might take the cal plus 25 plus 20.5 points that's fair hey we're on opposite sides of it i love to see it we get to see which one of us is right and which one is wrong next week yeah cal this week next week arizona and then the big one oregon on the 14th of October, that game is going to be big. But, yeah, you know, with the way we've looked, no reason not to expect wins against Cal and Arizona. So that Oregon game, we could easily, and I would say you can expect that we'll be going into that game 5-0. and um, Anything besides that would be a pretty big upset. So uh, that's the next big one to look out for, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Man, Oregon-USC this week, that's going to be awesome. Oh, no, sorry, Oregon-Colorado this week. Yeah, it's still going to be awesome. I really I really do think Colorado's just gotten a little extra hype because of uh, Coach Prime. Um, of course, yeah, of course. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, nothing wrong with it, but I, I do think Oregon is going to score 45 points on them. So, But we'll see about this Colorado offense, man. Like, uh, There's a chance that they put up something similar. I, you know, I think Oregon will win. Um, you just have to think like they went to overtime against Colorado State. They should be winning that game by forty points. They did. They went to overtime having scored thirty five points. Um, yeah, which means so their, their defense all, is uh, is know, bad. Yeah, their safe, defense yeah. is bad. <laughs> their best player was out with a concussion. I'm not sure if Travis Hunter is playing against Oregon, but they've scored at least thirty five points through four quarters every game this regular season so far Colorado has so their offense is no joke I think Oregon's defense might be a little overrated this year um obviously I would also take Oregon in that matchup but Mm -hmm. you know I'm just saying don't sleep on it Oregon's minus 21 holy crap yeah you know I I I think Oregon's gonna crush them dude (laughs) okay okay well I am saying smash the Colorado plus 21 line. Like, garbage time alone, Colorado could score like two or three touchdowns in the fourth just to lose by 14. Like, goodness gracious, 21 points against the guy who's second in college football in passing yards? That's the line people want to take? Colorado beat TCU. TCU is a good team. I I think what it is, and the reason Shadur has so many yards is because... uh they don't have any sort of run. They, all Oregon has to do is defend the pass, and it's kind of over. I, I guess, man. Like it, I, me taking you dub minus twenty one was like a uh, okay. I I would slam Colorado plus twenty one. Like even if Oregon's up at by thirty five at half and just takes their foot off the gas pedal, twenty one points is a massive spread for a team with the offensive upside of this Colorado team. 
Yeah, no, I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that I think the 21 points is is. You know, it'd be it'd be good to give Colorado 21 points. I think in a bet, but I do think Oregon's going to lay the smackdown on them at least offensively, if not on both ends of the football. Colorado is like is like Miami in the NFL. Like they have they have no defense. Their running game's pretty iffy, but they're just going to throw the hell out of the ball. Um, there's not a team in the NFL that I would take plus or minus 21 against Miami. So I don't I don't know, man. <laughs> That's true. All right, one more one more quick note. Uh, Tupuola Fatui, I, I don't know if you know who that is, but he's he's our one of our defensive linemen. He had a huge week, um, and he won Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. I think he could win Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. This is just, you know, just a just a side comment that I wanted to bring up so that we called it first. Um, I really think Tupuola Fatui is going to be uh, going to be huge coming down the stretch for for the the dogs. <laughs> That's that's a hell of a call. Do you know what he's doing stats wise? I don't. I really just remember watching the game and thinking, how is this guy getting all like he's all over the field right now? He's been so good. Um, so just just excited to uh, to watch him against uh, Cal this week too. Yeah, he's a good player. It's a big boy, six three, three hundred and twenty pounds out of Honolulu. Twelve tackles and half a sack through three games. So four tackles a game. That's really solid. But. Um, at his current pace, I would be surprised. Um, he's got to be putting up some more numbers in terms of sacks and fumbles and whatnot if if he wants a shot at uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year. But big guy out of Hawaii, I love him. Let's see him do it more. Yeah. All right. Should we just keep going, keep talking some football? Let's do it. Let's just keep rolling on football. Let's switch to a little pro talk um, and just just continue to humiliate ourselves with our horrible prediction <laughs> skills. Uh, going into the NFL season, we were all hyped on this Hawks offense, how dynamic they were, how deep they were, how solid Gino was. We knew the defense was going to be iffy, but we just said, man, this offense is going to be so good. Um, and they lost to the Rams in a horrible outing. We talked about it. And then we completely changed our tune and said, sell your stock, sell, sell, sell. Geno's trash, the team is bad. Um, and what did the Hawks do but beat the Detroit Lions in week two, 37-31, put up 31 points through four quarters and then pulled it out in overtime. Um, awesome win. They were down 7-14, came back to tie it up late in the fourth quarter and then win in OT. Uh, lot to talk about with this team. Where would you want to start? From that game, I would want to start at the Tyler Lockett front. Tyler Lockett was amazing last week. Turns out that the rumors of Tyler Lockett's death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> yeah, Lockett. He was obviously he had the uh, the touchdown at the you know to end the game in overtime, um, but he was just he just looked so solid throughout the game. DK went down with the with the injury a little early on, and so I felt like he they kind of took him. Not out of the game, but took him a, like their foot off the gas in terms of having him, you know, focused as much. Um, but yeah, Lockett looked amazing. He um, let's let's pull up his stats real quick. He had 59 yards on eight receptions for two touchdowns. So yeah, big dynamic. Obviously not a huge yardage game from him, but eight receptions, two touchdowns. He was moving the chains. He was. Gino's go-to guy, DK, even with the injury, had six receptions for 75 to lead the team. Um, but yeah, it was DK and Lockett, Lockett and DK, and 
it was Lockett in the end zone twice. So, yeah, he was great. We were wondering. He had something like one reception for like five yards last week, and we were like, what is going on? You've got to get Lockett involved. And clearly Geno took that to heart, got him the ball eight times, and, uh, yeah, showed us that the old man can still play, which I love to see. Yeah, um, I think something to note about Lockett is he's always had the ability to in like you were saying it's very hard to score touchdowns in kind of medium yardage situations mm-hmm. and Lockett has always had the ability to he's been great at that yeah it's because he's got open he, in those situations he's just so fast off the line he puts pressure on the DB immediately and when you guys when you have guys that are that fast off the line of scrimmage those are the best guys for those intermediate range routes because their speed off the get-go puts the DB on his heels and that 10 to 15 yards gives him just enough space to get that little bit of separation to catch the touchdown. Um, yeah, just classic. There are guys, you know, DK is a great example of guy, a guy who's super fast, but, you know, needs a couple steps to really build up that speed. He's more mm-hmm. of a momentum runner. Um, and that's not where DK excels. He excels in really short range where he can run posts and outs and stuff like that. Or he excels, you know, running deep routes down the field where he can just beat a guy in a long foot race and use his big body. Um, but yeah, lock it. Perfect. That's a really good call. Perfect for those intermediate routes. And those, he's just uh, great footwork. Great footwork in the end zone, too. Oh, yeah, he's always been great at that. Great hands and really, really good feet. That's an excellent point. Um, yeah, it was also nice to see Jackson Smith and Jigba getting a little more involved. Same thing with Lockett. I think last week he had one reception for like seven yards. He had five receptions this week, only 34 yards, so it was still a lot of short route stuff. But considering he's working in the slot, that's not particularly surprising. But i just really glad to see that he was third on the team in, in receptions. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little Gino. Talk about how we're feeling about Gino. Um do you want to apologize to Gino first, or should I? I guess I guess I will. Um, he looked his deep ball this weekend looked amazing. I think what it is is you know he was getting up to speed, and I think the other side of it is, and you might have mentioned this already, the Rams are good. I think the Rams are better than we thought they were, um, and you know the Lions don't really have a defense, and so that was kind of a shootout on over the weekend, and it just allowed Virgino to kind of shine. Um, yeah, his deep balls looked great, uh, and Kenneth Walker looked pretty good throughout the game, I think, as well. Uh, but yeah, Gino, no complaints here. I think he's just, you know, right back where he left off uh, last season. For sure. Yeah, and you know, with no preseason, we probably should have given him a week. You know, probably wasn't super fair to come out of the gates and say, you know, horrible contract, sell him. Um, but yeah, he looked a lot better this week. 32 for 41. So about 75% passing completion for 330 yards and two touchdowns. Now this is like, go ahead and patent this. This is like the John Kerry eye test for how good of a game a quarterback had. Um, and I, I got to come up with a name for the stat. And I hate to do it, but I think I've got to call it like a Brady. I, I hate Tom Brady. I hate the guy so much. But what he did more times in his career than any other quarterback I've ever seen is he would throw for 300 yards just every single game. He would get over 300. And so rarely did one receiver have over 100 yards. And when a quarterback does that, when a quarterback has over 300 yards and no individual receiver has over 100 yards, it's the super clear indicator that he is spreading the ball around. 
and you can look at that through the stats. Just reading down the reset, the yards list for our receivers, we have 75, 59, 56, 41, 35, 34, and that's as, as far as my list goes. 14, 11, 3. Um, so he is getting the ball to various guys in various positions. He's working through his reads um, and just playing like really smart. I just I love that stat when a, when a quarterback is over 300 and no receiver has more than 100 because he's not – you said it. His deep ball did look really nice today, but he wasn't over-reliant on the deep ball. It's not like DK had 150 yards and he was just hammering DK on these deep balls. He's doing everything. He's got the deep ball. He's got those intermediate routes to lock it we were talking about. He's hitting you know, Disley and Smith and Jigba just over and over again for those seven-yard out routes. Um, yeah, as far as 330-yard games go, I was really impressed. After a game where he couldn't hit anybody, to see him spread the ball the way that he did was very encouraging. Yeah, uh, I want to elaborate more uh, on the tight ends. I think Noah Fant and Will Disley both had great games. Um, tight end position for the Seahawks is a little bit undervalued, I think, in terms of they don't get enough respect or they don't get talked about much. But those two guys had a really great game uh, this weekend. And I just, yeah, just wanted to point it out. I feel like when we can get uh, Kenneth Walker out there with a couple tight ends, the threat of the tight ends kind of getting a block through and if it's a, if it's a um, play action... If they get a block and then leak out a little bit, those guys can run once they catch the ball and they can get a, you know, a lot of yards after catch, things like that. Um, so I've just been very happy with our tight end play, and I don't think it's been talked about enough. You know, that's a great point, and, and I love both those guys. Will Disley, just an uh, you know, old-timer <laughs> Seahawk and the <laughs> Noah Fant. This is his second or third year with the team out of Denver. Yep. And he was touted. He was a highly touted prospect who – as every single young tight end does in the NFL, he struggled his first couple years in Denver. And uh, Seattle got him cheap. And yeah, I'm a big believer in Noah Fant. And what I love about those two guys is they both serve really different roles on the team. Where Disley is like your classic prototypical pass-blocking tight end. But he also, when he's not pass-blocking, he runs seam routes. That's what he does. He runs like 10-yard seams. Um, kind of those old... Um, oh, what's his name? Like Jimmy Graham style seam routes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he does when he's in. He's either going to pass block or he's going to hurt you down the middle of the field. And then Fant isn't nearly the pass blocker Disley is. He's you know normally out there on passing downs, um, but he can run all the routes. He's got good intermediate routes. He's not super fat. You know you're not going to send him deep a ton, but he's also really good at those short route situations where you know he'll work his way five yards down the field and he'll turn around and use his butt and create some space um and it's just really nice to have those two guys like you said both super solid and just like used in their own unique way that kind of like maximizes their abilities you know they're kind of obvious downs where you'd have disley out there and they're obvious downs to have fant and it's nice to be able to use both guys to their potential definitely uh to elaborate or not elaborate to to close out um on last week's game man the running backs kenneth walker looked great and uh that's kind of it i feel like our running game was a little little lackluster there um do you have any thoughts yeah i actually i I meant to bring this up earlier i (laughs) disagree (laughs) uh i did not think kenneth walker was very good he carried the ball 17 times for 43 yards 
for those of you that aren't as good at math as me, that's two and a half yards per rush. That's bad. That's not good. He had two touchdowns, which, you know, made his fantasy owners happy. But it was not a super efficient outing on the ground for Kenneth Walker, particularly in a game. It's not like they were, you know, handing it off late to run the ball out. They were coming back the whole game. Every single one of those carries was an important one. To average two and a half yards per carry is not great. Um, obviously, how much of that goes on the offensive line, you know, it's not my place to say. But the running game didn't look fantastic. Zach Charbonnet, the rookie, got a little bit of carries in. He had four for 16, so a much healthier four yards per carry average. But he only got four carries to Kenneth's 17, which clearly indicates, you know, in practice or whatnot, Kenneth is proving to be the better back. Um, this passing offense is so dynamic that I'm not super worried. But, yeah, the running game I'm concerned about, whether it's the line or whether it's the personnel, they had a combined 25 carries for 80 yards. Um, and that's just not good enough. Yeah. Uh, I, my main point with Walker was he was he was good when we got into the red zone. Like, he was able to get those two touchdowns because he was able to finish those those plays off. But our yards per game at the moment is 83.5 rushing yards per game. That's not very good. You want to have over 100. I think that's no. kind of the minimum right now. Uh, Correct. And we and just Gino, haven't been able to do it. Gino had 20 of those yards on the ground today. He had three carries for 20 yards. He was far and away our most efficient rusher, um, which is not what you want. Uh, yeah, 80 yards a game, not good enough. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what we're looking for uh, this, this upcoming game against Carolina. Um, one main note that I have for, for our listeners is that uh, it sounds like Bryce Young's not going to start. Uh, it sounds like Andy Dalton's going to come in and start for the Panthers, which in my mind is not a good thing. I think Bryce Young is still working through things. And so when you think about that, you think, oh, you know, it's easy to, to pick on a rookie quarterback a little bit. But Andy Dalton's a veteran quarterback. He's been in the league for, you know, six decades at this point um, and is just, you know, a solid, solid quarterback. And I think... This could be a tough game for the Seahawks. Obviously, I still think we're going to win because it's Carolina. Carolina's not very good. But Andy Dalton could make things a little tough. Man, I love it. I love that that pessimistic take of yours. That's exactly what we need to keep this Seahawks win streak going. Because we, <laughs> if we're positive, we know they're going to lose. Um, yeah, I, I, I disagree again. Yeah, Bryce Young is out because of injury. Um, I do think you're right that Andy Dalton is a more steady hand at the wheel for Carolina just you know he is a vet but the fact of the matter is there's a reason he's not starting anymore it's because he loved to throw picks with the Bengals and then was just never good enough to win a starting job again um he's a very mediocre quarterback that's not going to make really stupid mistakes but who's he throwing to his best receiver is geriatric Adam Thielen and rookie Jonathan Mingo who hasn't really shown much of anything so far this receiving core desperately misses DJ Moore. I think it just makes us appreciate even more how talented DJ Moore was um, because, yeah, Bryce Young obviously is a rookie. You can put some of his struggles on new situation, but that offensive line is bad. It's part of the reason that he's hurt this week. And that receiving core is weak. And the running game behind Miles Sanders has not looked particularly impressive either. This Carolina Panthers offense is a little bit anemic. And their defense is not very special. 
I expect Seattle to come out and put a lot of pressure on them by putting up points early. And I do not think Andy Dalton and Adam Thielen and this ho-hum Carolina team uh, is prepared to take on a 0-14 or 3-14 game early on. I think their only hope is to keep it close and keep things slow and hope that they can eke it out down the stretch. But if Seattle jumps on them, which I think they will, go ahead and call it toast after the first quarter. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you in, in this in that take. <laughs> I'm but, so convincing. My rhetoric is unmatched. Hear me out. Uh, the Seahawks' defense is allowing 33 points per game. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> like, I, I think the offense is good and can score enough points to win us this game. But don't, you know, even though it's a mediocre quarterback with mediocre receivers and an okay run, running back, they're still going to be able to score... 21 points on us. I think that's just like feasible based on what we're what we can expect from from that team, um, which is my concern. It's not necessarily that the Seahawks aren't going to perform offensively. I think uh, the defense is going to need to step it up, and especially with Tariq Woolen getting injured last week, we're not sure if he's going to play this week. Um, we just need to have guys stepping up. Witherspoon had had a good first game, um, but he's going to need to play well. Um, especially against a veteran quarterback who's going to be looking at him, targeting him, because he hasn't really shown anything spectacular. Um, so I, that's that's my concern. I'm not I'm not saying the Seahawks are going to lose, but I am concerned that they will be able to attack our defense a little bit more than we uh, we're giving them credit for. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think 21 is is a fairly reasonable expectation for the kind of points Carolina could put up. We said it from the beginning of the year. If the Seattle team isn't putting up 28 points a game, they're not going to win a lot of games this year. So um, I still expect Seattle to win. I still expect them to win by more than a touchdown. Um, And we'll just get to wait and see. Yeah. All right, John. Uh, We've got some friends coming over in a bit, and we need to finish up a little little soon because I need to get this out before they get here. Uh, You want to talk some value dogs for this week? Let's do it. This is actually great timing. We'll close out with our value dog picks of the week, sponsored by Costco in 2024, hopefully. <laughs> um, uh, so just to clarify, last week we picked value dogs, three each. You, my friend, went one and two in your picks, and I went one, one, and one with a push. Um, we're going to keep a running tally of our value dog picks over the weeks and see how we do at the end of the year. So. Not the most fortuitous start, but hey, give us a break. We're picking underdogs. It was only week two. I think this week we're both going to finish with positive records. Um, would you like to go first? Can I go first? Um, I think we should switch it up and have you go first. Love it. Love it. I want it. And I got the easiest one that there is. Barely a value dog, but I can still cling to it. Uh, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers, plus one and a half against the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, this Raiders team is bad. They're mediocre on offense. They're mediocre on defense. Uh, and they haven't really played anybody this year. Pittsburgh is coming off playing two of the three best defenses in football in the 49ers and the Browns. And people are using that to whack them over the head and tell them they're no good. Um, the Steelers' offense is, you know, not great. I think they can only get better. There is 
only room for improvement for the Steelers offense. They are as bad as they can be with the amount of talent they have in terms of personnel. And their defense has been really solid. That Browns game was as ugly a game as it was. It was a defensive kind of masterpiece between the two teams. A lot of turnovers, a lot of on-downs, a lot of punts. They were kind of just hitting each other over the head. Um, I believe the Steelers' defense is going to slow down the Raiders, and their offense is going to do enough. With plus points, I'll take that all day. Steelers, plus one and a half. I agree with you. I have that as my as one of my picks as well. I'm glad we were in agreement on that one. Nice. Um, I, yeah, I think the Steelers are just... They won against the Browns, didn't they? Uh, oh, that's right. They did win that game. Yeah, they, they won that game. You know, the Browns played them well. And uh, obviously, the Chubb injury really hurt the Browns. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. to our guy Nick Chubb. We love we love him. Yeah, um, but they won that game on a T.J. Watt strip fumble recovery for the touchdown. He sacked Deshaun Watson, forced the fumble, got the fumble, and ran it all the way back to end the game. So, yeah, the Steelers' uh, defense is real. Yes, as is Mr. T.J. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the Raiders are very good. They lost by 28 to the Bills. Uh, so I think any time you have minus one and a half points on them, you just got to take the other team. Um, my first pick, we might have pretty similar picks this week. I think, you know, I think it's pretty easy ones. If uh, they are similar, it just means we're going to go 3-0. and oh. Yeah. I have the Tennessee Titans plus three against the Cleveland Browns. Wow, I did not. I did not have that one. That one's all <laughs> yours, buddy. The the Titans have just been. They've been good. I just think the Titans are a good team, um, and the Browns just lost their number one running back and are basically trying to figure out how that running back room works. Um, and they really haven't had much offensively from Deshaun Watson or any anything like that. And uh, yeah, I just think I think the Titans are better than people are are letting on. Um, Tannehill's. I think Tannehill's their quarterback right now, right? Correct. Tannehill's, you know, fine, but they have they have weapons everywhere, and I think they're they're going to be just fine against this Browns team. Um, the Browns defense is a little scary, but I think the Titans are. Uh, yeah, I just think they're better than we're giving them credit for. We didn't. We haven't had a lot of uh, AFC. Is it AFC South? Is that where the Titans are? Correct. There's not a lot of AFC South discussion on this uh, on this pod, and I think because of that, we don't give a lot of respect to those teams. Um, but I think the Titans are going to win that division, and I think this is one of those games that kind of sets their season on pace. Man, I, I could not be more on the opposite side of the spectrum from you when it comes <laughs> from the Titans, but that's okay. That's okay. That's why we do this. I, that is your pick. It's all yours. Uh, for my second pick, I am taking my hometown Indianapolis Colts. I knew you would take this one. eight against the Baltimore Ravens, plus eight. Now, a big part of this, remember, guys, I'm not saying the Colts are going to win the game. I'm saying that when a team is being given more than a touchdown, it's a lot of value being left on the table. This Colts team this year, 1-1. One one, uh, obviously, Anthony Richardson is going to be out this week with a concussion. Gardner Minshew is rock solid. Gardner Minshew is what Andy Dalton wishes he was. He is a starting-level quarterback in a league that is really quarterback-heavy. So he's been relegated to a backup role. Um, and he came in last week after Richardson's concussion and was rock solid. I'm expecting more of the same from him. Running game has been really good. Zach Moss looked amazing last week. Um, and our defense has looked very strong through two weeks. That's not even a big surprise. Our defense has been 
you know, top 10 in the NFL the last four or five years. And uh, this year they're putting together something special. Um, Baltimore, Lamar Jackson's been incredibly ho-hum. Their running game has been a mess ever since Dobbins tore his ACL. Um, their receivers, are, they're relying a lot on rookies A Flowers, which, you know, you never love to see. And their defense has been Baltimore Ravens quality. No surprise there. Will the Ravens win this game? Odds are better than 50%, but will they win it by eight or more points? I'm just not sure. I think them winning by seven or less or the Colts pulling something out, I think there's a lot of value at plus eight. Give me the Colts. Yeah, I like that pick. I uh, don't really have much to say. I think the Colts are going to, you know, they've been scoring a lot of points, and I think the Ravens have uh, been scoring a lot of points as well. I think it could be like a 35-28 type game. Um... For my third and final pick, this one might be a little contentious, uh, but listen, the Washington Commanders have been pretty good so far. I've been watching, I was watching that game, uh, was that Sunday night or Monday? Um, and plus six and a half for them against the Bills, I think is actually kind of a steal. I think the Bills played the Raiders last week and just, you know, put the, put the hurt on them because they're the Raiders. Uh, and the Commanders look like they have a good, good offense. They came back from down 21 against the Broncos and I think that momentum is just going to carry into this week I don't necessarily think they'll win but I think this is going to be a closer game than they're getting credit for and I think uh you know maybe it's a 27-24 type game um the commanders can score that's kind of the the last thing that I wanted to say about them uh that was my third value pick of the week I also had the Washington Commanders. Really good. Great. I'm glad they were sharing two of these, and then our other ones are both picking AFC South teams. <laughs> um, yeah, Commanders are rock solid. I agree with you. Plus six and a half, a lot of value left on the table there. Buffalo bounced back last week, but let's not forget that in week one, they looked incredibly vulnerable. And Washington's done nothing but win so far. Uh, Sam Howell, their quarterback, is solid he can do enough and he can also use his legs to pretty solid effect their running game behind brian robinson jr has looked very strong washington is a team that is really strong on both lines their offensive and defensive lines are both top 10 probably top five in the nfl and they work from those lines they rush the passer and they run the football um and i just yeah i really like the value brian robinson jr Really talented young back. He had that awesome story last year coming back from a gunshot wound to the chest. Um, and he's been really good so far this year. Terry McLaurin at wide receiver has been just as advertised, rock solid these first two weeks. And their defense, you know, secondary has some holes in it, but that defensive line is really tough and they work from the lines out. Um, I would not be at all surprised if Washington won the game this week. Um, the fact that they're getting six and a half points, I also consider a steal. I think it's an overreaction to Buffalo's win last week, and I think it's Vegas taking advantage of all those people that think Washington sucks and want to bet on the Bills and aren't aware of how solid and stout this Washington team is. So I also really like Washington Commanders plus six and a half. Yeah, that's a great way to end it there, man. A little, little agreement at the front end and back end of the value dogs. I'd love to hear There's that. nothing but disagreement in the middle. <laughs> Um, anything else before we hop off? This has been a nice little pod. Very nice. Yeah, nothing more to say. Go Seahawks. But even more than that, let's go Nerds. Come let's on. Let's go Mariners. Uh, for John Carey, 
I've been Tyler Cartwright, and this has been the Sound Up Seattle podcast. Uh, if you would like, you can follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music. You can find Sound Up Seattle on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John and I vibing at the Fremont Oktoberfest this weekend. Hey, we're having, having a good time. Let's um, go. Yeah, let's go Mariners, baby. <laughs>